And I'm thankful that we can uh, be together this day. And now this afternoon, we're going to do a survey of a small book in the Old Testament. So if you would turn your Bibles to the book of Jonah, and by nature of what I'm doing, it is a survey, so we're not going to focus so much on any particular passage, although we will conclude by looking at uh, the prayer of Jonah. So my pre-introduction leads us now to our introduction, the book of Jonah. Now, as we talked about this morning, one of the other prophets, Isaiah, generally the prophets, the Old Testament prophets that we read have been categorized as major and minor, not because one message is any less important than the other, but by the length. So we had uh, 66 books that we spoke about this morning in Isaiah, and here Jonah's just this small, short book of just a few chapters, four chapters, but uh, yet there is a very, very important message, a major message. So it was written about the same time, not too far off uh, from our book that we examined just briefly, although our focus was more so in the New Testament in Luke. But Jonah was written in 760 B.C. Again, these are approximate dates, but around 760 B.C. And uh, Jonah may have been a minor prophet, but yet there is uh, a major message. So what would the theme be overall? Well, generally, it seems like theologians kind of targeted one theme, but I'm going to give it two. All right, we're going to expand it just a little bit because we will see these things. The first theme, and I'm going to be simple and, and short this, this afternoon um, in explaining these things, is mercy, the theme of mercy. And uh, it's certainly something that is here to be seen in this book, how our God truly is a God who delights in mercy. And uh, so that's certainly a theme. But there's another theme that I believe is clearly here, and that's the one that we will actually examine as we walk through this little book, the theme of sovereignty, the theme of sovereignty. So mercy and sovereignty, I believe, are clear themes. Now, in talking the, the background, as we have a little bit about this book and when it was written, its author being Jonah himself, it is a book that has been historically maligned by critics. Of course, that's not unusual to think of, that critics maligning anything that is true and those who are unbelievers, even in the name of religion, do so as well. But um, I spoke just briefly this morning a little bit about the controversies of the church in America in the what was called the fundamentalist modernist controversy. And that was in particular the 20s and 30s, 1920s and 1930s, when many, in many cases that churches, mainline churches, or as I like to say now, sideline churches, but mainline churches uh, had groups that were leaving them because of the mainline uh, so quickly descending into unbelief. And so um, there was a great book written, by the way, by one of our Presbyterian forefathers. Uh, the gentleman was named J. Gresham Machen, quite a stalwart for the faith. And uh, with our own history, at least with the Bible Presbyterian Church, a, a close association way back, of course, than his death 
a bit prematurely, of pneumonia. Nonetheless, he wrote a book that was a tremendous work called Christianity and Liberalism. Christianity and Liberalism. And I've never forgotten a statement made to me, which I want to impress upon you, is that liberalism is just another name for unbelief. Liberalism is another name for unbelief. So really, when you think about this title, it's Christianity versus unbelief. And that's what liberalism is. So we're not surprised the things that liberals would say about God's word if they don't believe it. And that's the case. One of the things that was happening in the 1920s and the 1930s was a denial of the miraculous or supernatural. That was one of the problems. Even in Presbyterianism, American Presbyterianism, there was that denial of the supernatural and the miraculous. And obviously, when you read Jonah, you're looking at things that are miraculous and supernatural. But for a believer, it's not hard for us to take in. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The question has been asked. I say no, nothing is too hard for the Lord. And uh, we'll find it here in some of the things that God is doing to show us his mercy and his sovereignty together at the same time. One of the things that also impacted me being uh, reflective and back in my home area, it's one of the earliest things I can remember, and it's a good thing, uh, the church that I attended, they actually, when I was a child, located, relocated from one uh, location to another. It was the old church, as we talked about, and they built a new church kind of out in the country and a uh, nice building and all that. And uh, sad to see that church that really the Lord used in spite of some of the things that all of us uh, were and are, you know, God used it to, to be a witness. But uh, from what I understand, that congregation is now going to be a wedding facility. So, uh, you know, it is no longer existing and uh, had various difficulties. I'm not going to go to any of that, except to say in the old church, I can remember before we moved that I was given a little book and uh, it was about Jonah. And that has still stuck with me even to this day of how I was able to read by then, you know, six or seven years old, just learning to read or have someone read it to me, help me with the bigger words. And it talked about uh, the life of Jonah, and that impacted me. I've never forgotten it. And uh, so it was not difficult for me to believe those things. I believed them. I was taught these things as a child and believed the Bible. So uh, I, I know that, um, you know, at least for Pastor and I, and uh, where we have attended college, I think there's someone else here who's attending currently uh, the same university, that one of the reasons it was started was because of young people going off to other places and having their faith wrecked and causing them to question uh, what is true and what is true about God. So um, this is a book that is God-inspired. And I'm not sure, Pastor, if uh, Ian Paisley used to say this, but there was a statement, may God put his own divine stamp of approval on something. Does that sound maybe like a statement? It's in my head from someone saying that. So when it comes to this book, we have none other than the Lord Jesus Christ putting his divine stamp of approval upon this book. Isn't that enough for you? It's enough for me to see that Christ quoted from this in the New Testament. So before we look at Jonah, let's see 
how important it is to understand that Christ himself spoke of this prophet. So if you'll keep your place in Jonah and go to Matthew chapter 12 for just a moment, the Lord Jesus Christ speaks of the prophet Jonah. In verses 38 through 41, Matthew 12. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. So, um, as one of the men on my ordination council once said, if it's good enough for Jesus, it should be good enough for you or for me. And here we see the Lord Jesus Christ, again, putting that divine stamp of approval upon this book that we're going to examine briefly together this afternoon. So let's do that. But how are we going to do it? It's uh, it certainly would devote itself to a series, as we mentioned, the larger catechism. And I don't have time to do that, so we're going to focus on one of those themes of sovereignty. So let's look together as we go back to Jonah now through several of the chapters and see some clear presentations to us of a sovereign God. Go back now to Jonah chapter 1, and I'll read verse 4. And notice the language here of a sovereign God. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea... And there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Now we know the context of this. If we know the story, because of Jonah's disobedience, that he goes seeking to go away from uh, God's presence, which was impossible, but going away from the will of God. And when he did so, God sent. Did you see the language here very clearly? God sent out that great winds. God is the one who controls the winds and the waves. If we were to parallel that to the New Testament, we see Christ controlling the winds and the waves. So God in the flesh. But God sent out a wind. Now, there were other people affected. As you know, that story, that ship was about to be torn to pieces. And uh, then they came to realize what the problem was when Jonah told them. Look at verse uh, 17, chapter 1, verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God prepared the great fish. So you remember the story? They were trying to lighten the ship and do everything they could to, to uh, save themselves. They were seasoned uh, veterans of, of the sea, these men. And Jonah said, you're going to have to throw me over. That's the only thing that's going to do this. And they were trying everything, calling upon their gods, nothing to any avail. And so they tossed him over. And what he said came true. The sea calmed. 
and uh, it says they actually prayed unto the Lord. I don't know if it was truly they were converted, but it certainly impacted them. And it says they made vows and sacrificed unto the Lord. So maybe so. Maybe they came to believe in Jonah's God. But as soon as he went overboard and God calmed the sea, a great fish God had prepared to swallow up Jonah. So a second occasion we see a sovereign God working. Let's go a few chapters down to chapter 4 and verse 6. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. So here was this plant that God had prepared. I remember a brother from England preaching from this passage, and everyone was confused because he was saying gourd was his pronunciation. So uh, maybe you've not been exposed to gourds or gourds, but uh, it was what God had prepared as a shade to him. It was uh, intense heat and wind that was going on, and so this was a protection God providentially provided uh, for Jonah. But then see what God did next in verse 7. After he prepared a gourd, verse 7, but God prepared a worm. When the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd, that it withered. So the same God who had given that protection of the plant now gave a worm to cause the plant to die and to shrivel up. So you see how God is the one sovereign over all things. And then finally now, in verse 8, And it came to pass, when the sun did arise, that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished himself to die and said, Is it not better to die than to live? So we see God in control of all things. And one of the statements I heard concerning history, and in this case, uh, biblical history, but history is that history is his story. History is truly his story. It's God's story. So you see him working very clearly. The language is, is there. It's, it's <coughs> evidential there that God is working and having his will accomplished. But for the time we have remaining now, I want us to look at, as you know, the story, I believe, pretty well, of what had happened, the disobedient prophet, okay, thrown overboard, swallowed, and, you know, after the fact, he went reluctantly and preached to those people that he would show mercy to. And let me say this before we continue at what we're going to look at in chapter 2. God was merciful to a prophet. God was merciful to a crew of sailors. God was merciful to an entire city that he didn't destroy. God delights in mercy. And that same God who delights in mercy is the sovereign God over all things. And if God is sovereign over the things that we saw here in our context, is he sovereign over everything? The answer is yes, he is. He's the sovereign God over all of his creation. So if we'll turn back now to Jonah chapter 2, I want us to read what Jonah says from the belly of that great fish. And this is his prayer, verses 1 through 10. 
And this will be our emphasis as we have talked about mercy and as we've talked about sovereignty. Let's see what the prophet says. Beginning of verse 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hadst cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about, the weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. That thou, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited it out Jonah upon the dry land. One of the preachers in my life who was uh, from the United Kingdom, actually from Northern Ireland, was speaking of a Scottish preacher from back in the day that when Jonah was thrown overboard, the Lord prepared a fish and said, come out of the wet. And he was definitely into the wet, was he not there, as he was in the sea and the fish swallows him up. And then we have this prayer of Jonah as he pours out his heart to the Lord. Now, he is certainly in a crisis situation. He is certainly in an extreme situation. But there we find some very, very important words. Jonah begins to pray. Now, for we as believers, we are certainly commanded to pray. We are taught how to pray. It's a privilege that is ours. But it is something that we realize that is what we do willingly in our communication to God. I have traveled extensively and uh, seen a lot of things as far as uh, things that happened and you know things on the road and billboards and whatnot. And there's something that still occurs once in a while. And uh, lots of tractor trailers, lots of semis that are out there, and I'll follow one once in a while. Usually those are items I like to pass, but sometimes I'll be behind them. And there's one particular company, they put this, uh, this uh, it's a face. Now, I have to be honest with you, it looks more like a, a werewolf, actually, if you can imagine what a werewolf looks like, but that's what it looks like. And it has a finger pointed out, kind of like Uncle Sam, and it says, have you prayed today? And I don't know if they're trying to scare you into prayer or what they're doing, but that's, you know, kind of gets your attention. Have you prayed today? But it is thought provoking. Have you prayed today? Now, we don't need to be scared into it. It should be part of what uh, is our heart's desire in communication with our God. But here we see the words very clearly said to us, Jonah prayed. 
He had been a disobedient prophet, not wanting to go where God wanted him to go, not having any concern for these people. God had commanded him. He was seeking not to do it. Now, again, providentially, uh, Amanda didn't know what we were going to be preaching on, but you were playing in the prelude, trust and obey. That's what the call upon our lives as believers is. That was the call upon God's life to Jonah, trust and obey, right? He did not trust. He did not obey. And there was a price to be paid. But even in that context where he could have died, God could have left him there. And we're not at the end of the story yet. God delighted in mercy. And Jonah reluctantly then obeyed and did preach as he was told to do. And God spared a city that he was going to destroy. So this is a prayer in crisis. But nonetheless, he prayed up place of extreme distress. Let's look again at this place. We know it's in the inside of a, the stomach of a, a fish. I, I can't imagine. I've had interaction with fish, and I've done my filleting of fish. And you know what fishiness is? I just had a fillet of fish sandwich yesterday. Uh, but being inside a large fish, and there are some large fish out there, some of these river dwellers and where I have my family from in Kentucky, that those fish that have grown and grown, some of these catfish. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's, it's not too hard for me to imagine, but I don't want to be there. I don't think any of us would. But in that crisis, look what he says, beginning in verse 2. I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hadst cast me into the deep. In the midst of the seas and the floods compassed me about, all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. So when the raging sea, remember the story, him being cast into the sea, God prepares this great fish and he is swallowed. And there that is the extreme distress that he is in. It really is sort of a watery prison or grave. Look at verses 5 and the first part of verse 6. The waters compass me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption. So you see how he understands the severity and the nature of what has happened. I don't know what his ultimate expectation was initially, but God had prepared this fish for him and for what would transpire afterwards. So it really was like a grave. Apart from the miraculous intervention of God, he was doomed. There was no hope. And think about it from a spiritual standpoint, apart from God's intervention into our lives. When it comes to our salvation, we are like him. We are without hope. But we can sing, can't we? My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me. Those wonderful words that are true and ring true in our hearts and minds. So, extreme distress, troubling situation. No way out. I mean, it's all pretty bad as we see. Now, thankfully, we do know the rest of the story. But in this prayer, we see some great theology and the hope that we just spoke about a moment ago, the hope that God gives. So let's look at that. First of all, go back to uh, 
verse 4, the latter part, Jonah says, Yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. And now continue uh, in verse 6, the latter part. Yet thou hast brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So here it's really in a sense of of a repentant prophet now. The change that has come about. The way that he now observes what God has done. God has judged him for his disobedience, and whom the Lord loves, he does chasten. So that disobedience has come to Jonah. But he's come to his spiritual senses, as it were. And we see that in the context that he's in, now he's praying. Uh, Now he understands mercy. Now he understands obedience. Now he seems to uh, understand all of these things, that he's going to be faithful to the vow that he's vowed, he says that salvation is of the Lord. A great, great truth for us when it comes to understanding mercy and sovereignty, that salvation is of the Lord. And uh, that is a a great truth for us, especially as uh, Reformed Christians, that uh, what he said uh, rings true in our hearts. I mentioned some of my British mentors. I have another friend in England, we've only been together on one occasion, but had tremendous fellowship as he preached at our church. And I remember him preaching, speaking of uh, this particular passage. And he says, one of the things that this proves is that the great fish that was prepared was Armenian. Because when he says salvation is of the Lord, he just couldn't handle it and he vomited Jonah out. And there he went preaching. So salvation is of the Lord. It is his work of grace. It is all of Christ and none else. And that reluctant prophet was given mercy. Because think of the situation in that context, apart from God's mercy, where would he have been? But through the book, God prepared, God prepared, God did this. We see God at work. Another book that uh, I just want to reference because of how you see God working, but yet his name's not mentioned, is the book of Esther. God's name is never mentioned. The name God or his name Lord, none of that's ever mentioned, but you can see very clearly God at work. And uh, here, of course, the Lord is mentioned. It's very clear his work that he is doing because history is his story. But a ray of hope, and a great, great uh, section of theology that we have concerning the salvation. And, of course, the conclusion I've already alluded to, verse 10. And the Lord spake. Now, that we didn't touch upon. The Lord spoke, and this creature obeyed. The fish that he had prepared for Jonah, he spoke, and the fish vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. God had delighted in mercy. And then the prophet went, as you see in the next two chapters, and proclaimed the message. And yes, he still had his issues and challenges, 
that we see come forth, but he obeyed. He did what was commanded. Speaking of trust and obey, the Lord Jesus says to us in the New Testament, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. I think of the words, going back to the Old Testament for a moment, that Samuel spoke to Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams, of how he showed him and taught him uh, this rebellion against uh, the revealed will of God. I ask us the question, and kind of repeating it, but for our thoughts again concerning the themes of mercy and sovereignty, if God has sovereignty over a created thing, and he does, here we read God spoke to the fish and the fish responded. If God has sovereignty over a created thing, then we can assume, we can bank on it, that God is sovereign over everything. You know, growing up, as maybe some of us did, had a little discussion with Zach, uh, kind of our background growing up, and, uh, you know, speaking of the Armenian fish that we joked about, a lot of us were in that kind of context as far as our church setting. And uh, God, by his grace, has uh, continued to teach and to help and to, strengthen us and to give us understanding. But uh, one of the things that we found is that there would be uh, basically an agreement that God is sovereign over everything except for grace. God's not sovereign over grace. My friends, as I said, God is a sovereign God over all things, even in sovereign grace. And we can rejoice in that he has done so with us. I mentioned praying at the outset of this section, how Jonah prayed. And I'm reminded of this verse that I think all of us would know. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Having that attitude of prayer, praying without ceasing. Now, when we look at the life of Jonah, he disobeyed. And there were consequences for his disobedience. And when you read the Old Testament scriptures, there was God communicating to Israel, if you obey, blessing. If you don't obey, there's going to be judgment. There's going to be uh, discipline because of that. So the crisis situation that came, came because of his disobedience. There was judgment. But God delighted in mercy. It's interesting. Did you see that Jonah actually used the word mercy in his prayer? He understood God was being merciful. So he was in a great crisis. But I'd like to come full circle to this morning and now, obviously, as we've sung about Christ, emphasize Christ. Now, Christ in the Old Testament. Christ spoke about Jonah. When he was questioned, he went back there and exposed uh, the Pharisees and their unbelief and their doubts, saying that greater than Jonah was there, and that was certainly true. And you think about the crisis that was in the life of Jonah that we have read about, how God delivered him. When we were reading in Luke today, if we would have continued on in the chapter that we were studying in 24, right after that, there was a very, very difficult time for the Lord Jesus. 
He wasn't in the belly of a fish. He was in a garden. And he removed himself a bit, stones through, the Bible says, from his other disciples. And he went to pray. And he poured out his heart to his father. And he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You know, that's one of the beauties of what we have heard today that in all the things that we fail in, just like the reluctant prophet Jonah, we have a God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has fulfilled all righteousness for us. And we possess that righteousness imputed to us. And as Luke records for us, that's why I, I love Luke in particular, he talks about the, the medical condition of blood oozing and dripping with those great drops of sweat and blood falling to the ground as he poured out, realizing what he was going to do by going to the cross. Lord, if it be possible, it was so heinous of what was approaching, but yet he obeyed willingly. So you see a real contrast between this one and definitely then don't we see the greater than Jonah is here. He's here in our midst where two or three are even gathered in his name. He is here in our midst. So praise the Lord that the father has given us the son to fulfill all righteousness on our behalf. So Jonah is true. It's an inspired book. It has a message to apply to us. But we're not going to go away from here thinking about Jonah, are we? We're going to go thinking about the greater than Jonah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. Let's pray. Father, we praise you so much. Our hearts are just full of thankfulness and joy at your blessing to us. Lord, we are undeserving. We realize in mercy and sovereignty that we have not been given what we deserve. But you have been merciful and loving and gracious and kind to us in giving us your son that we may have salvation through him. And Lord, you are in control, especially in the day that we live and the chaos that we observe. Lord, you are in control. And let us be comforted in that. We thank you for that one, that greater than Jonah, the Lord Jesus Christ, loving us and giving himself for us. Obeying your will fully. Oh, Father, we praise you. We are amazed and we do stand amazed in your presence yet this day. Father, we thank you for the word that it always accomplishes your purpose. We thank you for this local body of believers. We ask for your blessing to rest upon them. We pray that your spirit would empower them. Oh, Lord, may they be used by you for your glory and for the good of others. O oh Lord, for churches of light, precious faith around the world, may they continue to proclaim the good news of Christ, be faithful in their teaching and preaching to the ends of the earth. And Father, now as we are dismissed on this Lord's Day, what a privilege it has been to gather. Lord, we have not neglected the assembling of ourselves together, but have had this Sabbath, a, a delight it has been for us to worship you in spirit and in truth. So we pray now, Father, that you would dismiss us with your blessing. 
And Father, help us to be mindful that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, may we do all to your glory. And these things we pray in the precious and altogether lovely name of Jesus. Amen.